0: Welcome up to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, this morning we're continuing um, our series going through the book of Matthew. And I want to remind you again, next week is, is going to uh, be a, a, a little bit of a different Sunday. Um, we're just going get, to get, uh, get these chapters out. I'm going to share a few things, but we're going to interact and we're, we're going to study. So that'll work well if you interact in it with, with me as well. So I want to encourage you to read <clears throat> Excuse me, Matthew chapter 10 verses 12, is that will be the, uh, the chapters we will be focusing on. I haven't dug in um, real deep yet, so I can't give you some clear perspective on exactly where I plan to go, um, but all of Matthew 10 through 12 will be open for discussion that we'll be interacting through um, next Sunday. Um, so this is the closest I get in any given year um, to preaching through a lectionary, okay? Does anybody know what a lectionary is? you ever heard, heard of one before? I wonder, in, in, they do them in Brethren churches. I know what one is? Um, if you would be in a, ca- a Catholic church, or I th- in some cases a Lutheran church, and even in the Brethren church, um, there's just a, basically a book that gives you the texts, about two or three different texts, to preach through. And people would say, well, that's kind of dull and kind of boring because the pastor doesn't get to pick what he wants to talk about, doesn't get to get a topic. Well, there's some good sides to that, too. The good sides is that you're forced to wrestle with the text of Scripture. And this is the closest that I get in the course of a year when we preach through a gospel. So I had a couple chapters to look at, Matthew 7 and Matthew 8. And so we're going to take some time to wrestle with these chapters, with all of these stories in Matthew chapter 8, because there's a lot of, of stuff that spoke to me as I was studying this, so I believe is going to um, speak to you as well this morning. So the title of today's message is simply, I Believe You Can But. And that, unfortunately, is the story of many of our lives it's oftentimes the story of my life that we have faith in God to some extent, and church, we have to recognize in a place um, where we've come to worship with other Christ followers that that is certainly an area that we need to grow in. So we got to do something about that butt up there, okay? Because you've heard the, you've heard the illustration before. Everybody's got one, and they all stink, okay? So this is exactly what today's message is. I believe you can, but, and we're going to see a few different uh, stories all throughout Matthew chapter eight of different cases of this. So Lord, today open our hearts as we go through this text. What a beautiful day to realize that this is your word that has been passed on to us from generation to generation and now it is in our hands. And we can't look at these scripture stories as spectators, but rather we must make them our story and find ourselves just as the leper, just as the centurion, just just as Peter's mother-in-law and those that were ready to um, come after you, but first they wanted to do something else. And so, Lord, now it is our chance to respond. Now is our chance in such a time as this to be the people of God. So may we hear your word and choose to follow it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so instead of reading the whole chapter, I'm just going to read through in sections this morning. And I hope you got your Bibles out. Next week will not work unless you have a Bible. So we do have these little Bibles. I'm actually using one this morning um, that are in your pew. And if you don't have a Bible, you can always get one of these. Those are free for your taking. There, Joel, can you display that? Just just like, there you go. Thank you. So Joel's got that back there on display. You can have one of those and take it with you as well. All right? Matthew chapter 8. When he came down the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, the first thing you need to know, so here's what this guy says. He says, if you are willing... This man was not questioning whether, you can go ahead and put that first point up there, Joel, if you are willing. He was not questioning whether or not Jesus could, he was questioning whether or not he was willing. So here is his, I believe you can heal my leprosy, but I don't know if you are willing to. So, leprosy, we need to be reminded in this moment, leprosy in that time is really interesting because there's two different uh, things we need to know about it. First of all, most believed it to be a fatal um, disease. Secondly, it was obviously a disease that brought forth uncleanliness. Okay, I think I said two things, but three things is what I wanted to say. It brought forth uncleanliness. And the third thing was it was something that was believed to be a messianic expectation. And in those days, it was thought that the Messiah would come, a Jewish expectation of the Messiah, the Messiah would come, and one of the many things he would be able to do that no one else was ever able to do, that would be the sign that Jesus was the Messiah, was that he would be able to heal lepers. And so there's some, there is some background behind this, but I, today we're primarily going to focus on the devotional aspect the devotional aspect is this, what this guy is saying is what something that, that I believe everyone here in this room has at some point in their life said. Lord, I believe you are who you say that you are. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are able to heal. I believe that you are able to bring about change in my life. But in my case, I don't know if you're willing. In my case, I don't know if you're worthy, if I'm worthy, excuse me. I wonder if you've ever felt that way before, especially when there's moments when it seems like good things might be happening to other people all around you, the feeling that maybe God won't notice me. Church, I want to tell you in Scripture, if, you, if you've never noticed something, if you read through this gospel, which I encourage you to do as we study this together, you're going to see that many people came to Jesus. And oftentimes, Jesus would give them a choice. He would give them a way to respond. He would oftentimes ask them a question or he'd give them something to do. But everyone that came to him, he looked into their eyes and reminded them that they are worthy. They, he, he, has given, he is willing to give his life for them. The answer to this question in this text is yes, you are worthy. The the enemy would like to tell you that you're not. The enemy would like to bring about condemnation. um, But Jesus would like to bring about affirmation. And the word of the Lord in this text is like, yes, I am willing. Now be clean. So he heals his leprosy. And then now this man's healing would be a sign that Jesus was the Messiah. So church, we need to recognize that we have the same call. The new question now for for this guy's life and the new question for each and every one of us is not if if God is willing, but if we are willing. Because now the the rest of this life, this man's life would be to now go show and go tell others that this guy, that Jesus is exactly who he said that he was. And our question today that we must wrestle with is, are we willing to let God bring about healing in our life? Are we willing to let God bring about change? The answer on his part to that question is, yes, I am. I know you can heal, but are are you willing? The answer is Christ is willing. Now the question is yours. Are you willing in response to what God has given you? The healing that you have received through your salvation, and we'll talk more about that. Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to declare to the world through your life, through your words and through your actions, that Jesus is exactly who he said that he was? You have now been made whole, but now go show the world who Jesus is. The next passage, I want to get through verses 5 through 13. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes, and I say to my servants, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to, to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. If I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus said to the centurion, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And a servant was healed at that very hour. Now, When you read this, I don't know if it's fascinating to you or not, But so I want to make sure you bring, bring home the point that Jesus was making with this before. Okay, Jesus just healed a paralytic with just a word. There's, there, people are spreading, and people are getting to know some things about this guy. Okay, There's speculation whether he is just another faith healer, whether he's just another guy that's doing some amazing things, or whether he really is exactly who he said that he was. What makes it complicated is because the religious people of the day, the ones they're supposed to trust— They don't believe that he is. And so there's always this speculation. And then you get this centurion who is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And he has this understanding that Jesus is able to do some things that nobody else can. And he comes upon him where everybody else would have any kind of concept. Well, if he's a faith healer or some some kind of healing magician. And by the way, there were other even Jewish rabbis that were able to do healings in that time. Um, that he would need to go lay his hands. He would need to pray a prayer over him. But this centurion understands something about Jesus because he understands something about spiritual authority. He believes Jesus is exactly who he says that he is. And if he's exactly who he says that he is, he doesn't need to lay hands on anyone. He is the ultimate authority. He is the Son of God. And there are powers and principalities that are under him and are sovereignly under his control. Paul understood that. I'm going to read to you a long text in the book of Ephesians here. If you can throw Ephesians um, 1, 17 through 23 up there. Paul said, "...I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation." so that you may, so this is what Paul's praying for you, so that, you, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. Paul's praying this for Christians, but this centurion that confronted Jesus on that day already understood it. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his, and comparably great power for us who believe. That power, which is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In this moment, could we take some time to capture the, this revelation that the centurion did? The centurion recognized that ultimately God is in control, and I am with him. See, he recognized that, that all of these things are ultimately under his control. He doesn't need to go lay his hands on them, just say the word. You are who you say that you are. Now, here's what's beautiful about that passage that I just read to you it's because some of us, when we talk about God, we talk about miracles, we talk about what God can do, it's almost like we're on the outside looking in. But what that text just reminded us and what the centurion gets, that you're incorporated in this, Christian. If you're part of the body of Christ, no, you're on the inside looking in. You are part of the body of Christ and the presence of God dwells in you. If you believe that, you'd say amen. So the idea of dominion on this earth, there's this, there's this concept that Paul is speaking this said, No, You are ultimately sovereignly, you're like royalty, and that doesn't mean like you're going, get, you, that, that all the, you're going to get all this stuff because you're a king. But no, but the things that would bog others down, you're going to be able to navigate through these things in life because the one who is the true authority, you're, you're with him. You are in his dominion, and he is your ultimate sovereign authority. You are part of this kingdom. You are part of this dominion. The centurion understood this idea of spiritual authority. And if we would ever capture just a glimpse of this it would begin to change our life when we recognize and trust that what God wants for us is better that he is able. And this guy's butt was a good one. He said, "I believe you are able, but hey, just say the word." You don't have to go lay hands. You know you can already do it. You know you're already capable of bringing about healing. You can you can turn this water to the wine. Um, You could bring about peace on this earth right now if it would be your will, but there's a plan that you have and your plan is better than mine, so why don't you just say the word and bring healing? That's why Jesus is astounded by this man's revelation because he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he he was capable of. He did not see any limits in the fleshly body that he was. He believed that he was God. The next one, 14 through 22. 22. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. And then I want to get into the second second section here in verses 18 to 22. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Before we talk about this, take a note how verse 20 and verse 21 are related. We will follow you wherever you go. Okay, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. They have homes. They have comfortable, cozy places that they think are great. Me, I got no place to lay my head. And then the response, verse 20, oh, well, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 22, but Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So verses 14 through 22, we hear some stories about healing, about serving, about burying, and about pursuing. Similar to what I shared about the leper, this first case of Peter's mother-in-law is a very simple metaphor for an exceptional lifestyle. A simple metaphor for an exceptional lifestyle. Lifestyle. the simple metaphor is that she was healed and then what happened after she was healed. You might tell me? After what Peter's mother-in-law, she was healed, and then what happened? She got up and began to serve. I don't know why, I don't even know if this is a good sermon illustration or not, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's real. I remember right after I began uh, uh, right after I became a Christian. Most of you know, I, I was about 19 years old and I was in Pentecostal churches at the time. And I saw, I saw some amazing things with my own eyes. I've seen demons cast out of people. I've seen people healed right in front. And I've had the similar things happen when I've laid hands and prayed for people as well. I've seen the miracles of God. And I was at a time, I was a DPNL meter reader, and I was, I was walking with a guy and um, telling, it was basically witnessing, witnessing to him and just kind of telling him you know, some of the, the things in, in, that have just happened in my life, some of the things that I've witnessed. And he said, man if I saw a miracle like that, you know what? He didn't believe in God. And he said, you know, if I saw a miracle like that, I would believe in God too. I said, no, no, you wouldn't. It wouldn't really work that way. Because the, the, these miracles, that's, that's not the kind of faith oftentimes that these miracles would produce. Because these things, they happen for a moment. What, what determines our faith is our relationship with Jesus Christ, the consistent pursuit I think we were talking there was a duck, you know, there was like a duck that, that if we gave, like, I'm going to go pray. Why don't you go pray and give that duck a third wing, and then I'll believe in God. It's like, no, I'm not going to test God that way. I just don't think it works that way. Now you guys might think that that's crazy, the idea that, well, yeah, I think if I saw a miracle like that, I would believe in God. But the truth is that that miracle would just provide you something for that day. All of these signs in Scripture... The way Matthew, the, the, the orchestrators of this text, of this gospel, are setting it up to reveal that this is who God was. This is what God can do. This is what God is capable of. He will perform miracles in your life. You will experience things. If you choose to follow him, you will experience things that can only be explained by God. But the miracles themselves are not the reason we keep serving him. See, they may play a big part in somebody's initial decision to follow Christ. Um, But the miracles themselves are not why we keep following him. And so in a case like this, because I'm I'm speaking from some of my Pentecostal experiences, it's been very frustrating for me to see people that have been healed, that have had something supernatural happen to them. I I used to have people that would speak into my life in incredible ways from from things that they knew about me that there was no way they could ever know about me. Like we called it reading, reading my mail, like you read my mail from heaven. And those people that were men of God in my life, some of them are not even following Christ today. Jesus says that to some people in scripture. He says, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform these miracles in your name? And Jesus says to those people, there's gonna be a day where he's gonna say to some of those people, depart from me, I never knew you. What God is longing for is your attention with your life. And in this case, when Peter's This simple metaphor is that Peter's mother-in-law gets up and begins an act of serving. She responds to healing, in this case, with an act of service. And so the metaphor is that we respond to what healing the Lord is bring us, whether it be incredibly supernatural, incredibly internal, incredibly practical, and we begin a life of service and a life of pursuit. Now, miracles... I hope that they're a part of your life. I hope that some point, if you haven't already, that you get to experience something supernatural that gives you goosebumps so that they can be kind of like for for those of you that choose to continue to walk with God, those things will be like altars and memorials that you'll go back to. Because as a Christ follower, just as they were in the Old Testament and still throughout the New Testament, you're called to remember You're called to remember the faithfulness of the Lord time and time again. You're called to remember the time that you were broken and he helped you pick up the pieces. You're called to remember a time when you didn't know how you were going to pay a bill and somehow things came through. We are called to be people that place memorials. But if you're just in it, and, and just as I saw in many different charismatic churches, they're just hoping God shows up and does something cool that they can talk about. That's not faith. That's coming along for the show. And many people in Jesus's days were doing that. See, it just tells you something about human nature. That's exactly what was happening. Jesus was doing amazing things. And some were just sitting back saying, whoa, this is so cool. Did you see that guy? And then like, yeah, go tell. They're just watching like, and they're just there for the show. But others are like, oh my gosh, this is what was prophesied. This guy's exactly who he said he was. And they, instead of keep pointing at the Messiah or or the faith healer, they start pointing it back in their direction. Like, what does this mean for me? Should I be following this guy? Should I be paying a lot more attention to what he is saying? We have the same call that comes to us today. And so then we see another paradox in this next text. It's exactly what I just set up in verse 18. There are crowds around him. He's going to go cross to the other side of the sea. So he's got this crowd. He's got this following. And now he's going to go across to the other side of the sea. And then there's people here that have been watching what Jesus is doing. And they're like, hey, we want to go with you. We will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus comes up with this response. He says, foxes have holes. And birds have nests. Something else. And the flu bug has a body to rest in in January in Preble County. They all, everything's got its home. All right? Uh, But I don't have uh, I don't I don't have one. And then you see the response of these guys where they say, "Let the bed first, let me go back and bury my father." And Jesus' response, what seems like one of the coldest response in Scripture from Christ, he says, "Let the dead bury their own dead." Now, there's two things you need to understand about that text. Okay, first of all, is the easiest, most simplistic way to put it is that yes, he needed to take he needed to honor his parents. That is a biblical command that. Everybody in that culture would have understood that that's, the, that's the, the way the pattern of life goes. When your parents get old, you take care of your parents and you honor them, you honor their life. But so some scholars will say that this was kind of a cold thing for Jesus to say. But I tend to bend on the second thing that was really going on here. Um, what, else it meant to, what, what else it meant to bury your father? OK, the other context was their identity was found in their parents. Their identity was found in also their inheritance. That's why, that's why the author of, and from my perspective, that's why the author of the text put both of those things right next to each other. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I don't have any place to lay my head. And this guy's response is, oh, wow. Um, okay, yeah, I don't know if this is what I want with my life. Maybe if I, after I go get my inheritance, maybe after I get a little bit more comfortable financially. Maybe after I get a little bit more security, then I'll be ready to follow you. Now, I know nobody in this room has ever heard or, or heard anyone say something like that or felt the pool of God on their life or like, you know, something that the Lord wants you to do. But our response is rather, well, if I could just get my ducks in a row first, once I get everything together, then I'll really be a Christian. Come on. I bet you almost everybody in this room has said that at some point in your life. I know I should be doing this, but come on.
1: That's exactly
0: what the Lord, what, what, what Jesus was saying to this man right here. So his his big nasty but was that I believe you are the Messiah, but first let me bury my dead. He was not ready to trust God with let's call it what it was financial security was not ready to trust God with resource, security, with stability. He felt like he needed to fall back upon what was expected of his day. He said, if you go back and do that, you're never going to be what you were called to be. You're going to die with what you think is coming to you. And Jesus tells him, let the dead (laughs) bury their own dead. So here's the next one. Verses 23 through 27, and this is this one's powerful because this is this is where I think all of us can allow this one to hit home. It's kind of the image we got in the background. We see this calming of the storm. So here's what it reads in verses 23 through 27. Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went on and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I told you last week that Matthew is the most Jewish text of all of them, of all of the Gospels. And so you see just in that last verse there what the agenda of the author is. He's, he's once again proving his point. Yeah, this guy calmed the sea. This is the, this is the Messiah that we've been speaking of. So that's what's going on in that text from a theological standpoint. But from a devotional standpoint, I'm sure you've all been there. I believe you can. We believe, we can sit here in, our, in, a, in, a, in a church service you know, 2,000 plus years after this text was written, we hear about Jesus can calm the storm, and in our hearts, we believe that God can calm the storm, but we also couldn't do what the disciples, we were also just like the disciples who were in the boat with them. You know what they couldn't do? Put that next thing up there. I believe you can handle the storm, but not if I can't see you working. What do we do when we've been praying so hard? We've been asking for something to change. We've been asking other people to pray for us. And we've been counting down the days, and it just seems like things just aren't getting any better. We believe God can calm the storm, but not when He's not working, not when it doesn't appear as though He's moving, but rather it appears as though He's sleeping. And we get stuck in that waiting. And many people, the waiting causes them to walk away, but actually the purpose of the waiting is the opposite. The truth is that he is working, just as he was working in that boat. And the way he works is within you. Who are you going to be in the midst of the waiting? in the midst of the time when the storm isn't being calmed, it's still going, it's still going, and you've been praying and you've been crying out and you've seen what this guy can do. You have these stories of what happened in your life in the past and you've heard of stories of what he's done for others, but here he is sleeping in the boat and all you know is that your life is falling apart right in front of you. And what the Lord was doing for them is the same thing he does for you in those moments. He empowers you to trust and not be consumed with the circumstances around you. But have this unbelievable, the trust that you are in the boat with the living Messiah. It's the same message that I just read to you in Ephesians. You are part of the body of Christ. You are with him. You have dominion on this earth. And the Lord is, about, the Lord is going to protect you. He is going to guide you. He is going to reveal something to you. And perhaps if you will, if you will let him, you may be the one yourself that's about to bring about the change in your life. Can we trust Him in the midst of the storm? I can. I believe You can calm the storm, but only, but not. Excuse me, but not if I can't see You working. So may we be people that recognize that Christ is with us in the boat. He is the head of our body, and we are connected with Him. So finally, I want to finish this one. The last, the last uh, section of this chapter. In Matthew 9, verse 28, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one can pass that way. So these guys were so they were so out of control that like everybody stayed away from him because they knew if they would even get close to him, they would get attacked. Now, the Luke passage, um, these men come out and they say their name is Legion which means many, multiple demons were in these guys. So what do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of uh, pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake. And died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, included what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. You think this is going to be a good thing, but then here's what they said. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So in this text, I want to talk about freedom and bondage. The Luke version of this story, I will say, is much better. It uh, focuses a, l- a bit more on the man himself and, and has a Jesus with an interaction with this man. But the first question we need to wrestle with here is why did the demon-possessed man come out to Jesus? There's two answers for that. One could be true, the other could be true, or both could be true, so I'll just throw those at you. First is that this demon, the, the demons themselves were come, were come, pu- had possession of this man And they literally were brought out because they knew who Jesus was and were questioning the timing of his authority. That really appears how the text reads, that you can't be doing this now. It is not the proper time. The demons that own this man are actually coming out and questioning Christ for the timing of what he is doing and fear for their ultimate destiny. The second thing is this man himself had enough competence to know who Christ was and these men themselves and left to be free. And so possibly both of those things could be true. But the point is, there was a recognition of who the Messiah was. And everyone in this area knew um, of this man, this, these men, this man who was incredibly violent. Now, so what happened? So here's what these people said. So, so they, they come up, Jesus, Jesus cast the demons out of this, out of, I keep want to say these men. Am I saying that right? Because there's two, de- the, the Lucan version... Is a little different than the Matthew version. When region rather the region of Geratines, demon possessed men. Right. In this case, it is two different men. Okay. So they see in the Luke version has one man. Now, so they see this guy. They know what he was, they know what they were like when they were on this, when they were possessed by the demons. They know now that these guys have been set free, but they've now seen a whole livestock of pigs go into the water and be destroyed. So, church, what are they primarily concerned about? Yes. Concerned about their livestock. They're concerned about their livelihood. Now, we may see this is what we always do when we read scripture. We, we always put ourselves on the good side. Good me, I would never do that. I would say, yes, Jesus. You've just sent all of my future prosperity, all of my future livelihood into the water, but now I will trust you with my life. Instead of actually letting ourselves be human and letting us see the humanity that are in these texts. Because here's what these men, all this whole community, were coming out and they were saying I believe you can cast out multiple demons and bring eternal change to others' lives but I'm not ready to trust you with my life. I'm not ready to trust you with my livelihood. And I think that that, that, that is a fear. I, I, feel, um, I feel like many times that I preach the gospel in different venues, that that is ultimately the, the, the fear that is always in the room of our American culture today. That I don't think that this word is given to us, and I don't, I don't know that I do that poor of a job, of communicating that the gospel is really clear, that it will turn your world upside down. If you receive it as as it's been presented to you, it will and it should turn your world upside down. But many of us live in this American culture where it's like what I talked about last week. We have two masters and we're pulled to the love of money and we're pulled to a mediocre love of God. And we're really scared of what it would look like to give this other pursuit up and really trust God with everything. And I believe every time I preach the gospel, that's always what the greatest fear is in the room. Ah, I know that's what the Lord is calling me to do, but I can't imagine turning my life upside down. And really laying it all out there. So today it goes back to all of these things. So as we conclude, I, w- I want to go back to all of these things. I want to ask you, I wonder what would happen if you would let God turn your world upside down and completely be free. See, we're not called to read this story like we're spectators. We're, re- we're called to read this story and find ourselves right in it. So maybe for you, it's your butt is a feeling of worthiness. Maybe it's a, a fear of, that we need to have more boldness and live as these people have called us to, and live as the Lord has called us to live. Maybe your butt is financial security or, or waiting. Or like the demon, like the, the people that saw the demons possessed, trusting God with change. Let me say that one again. Being willing to trust God with real personal change in your life. Today, this is how we need to respond. This is what the Lord is calling us to do. If it's all over the chart, worthiness, boldness, uh, financial security, Real change in your life. Church, I don't know how any other way to say it, but his ways are better than mine. His ways are better than yours. His ways are the ways you were called to live for. And now you have the choice to respond and say yes to his will. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is alive, that it is true, and that it is ready to speak to us today if we will only respond to it. And now, Lord, all across this room, we have some many buts that we need to remove. I believe that you can, but I'm not ready, but I'm not worthy, but I'm not ready to trust you with my financial security, but I'm not, I can't handle, I believe that you can, but I can't handle the waiting anymore, Lord, if you would just change things, if you'd calm the storm, I believe that you can but I'm just not ready to really change the way that I know that you're calling me to. All across this room, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring about a conviction and a life that reveals to them that you are present, that you are near, that you are powerful, that you bring a peace, that you bring a destiny. Lord, that is what they were created for. And so, Lord, may we hear and respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, may you know that you are worthy of the love and the sacrifice that the Lord has provided for you. Today, may you know that you have dominion and authority in this world that comes from being part of the body of Christ and being in the boat with Jesus. Today, may you know that you are provided for. May you know that your God is present with you in the midst of waiting. And may you know that your Lord is still ready to bring about more change in your life if you will only trust him with it. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.